I would not take it back. It set me up to have this monument moment that I'm having now, which is like a mountaintop experience. Like after you've been through all the valleys and all the work, and then you like climb and climb and climb and get to the top. And you're like, oh, wow, I've made it. <laughs> I've done it. I've made it to the mountaintop and then you just start climbing again you are listening to made of human also known as the mopad a podcast hosted by sophie hagen who is a danish comedian trying to find out how to do life but it turns out nobody knows so excited about this episode. I have wanted to get Marisha Wallace on this podcast for literally years. We tried it a few years ago and I was meant to go backstage at Dreamgirls where she played Effie and obviously that's the dream. Uh, I know uh, of course my, my friend Trevor Dion Nicholas who's been on this podcast at three or four times uh, he let me go backstage at both Hamilton and Aladdin when he was playing that. And um, it's like a dream come true with someone who loves musicals. So I would have loved to go backstage at Dreamgirls. Oh my God. But um, we didn't make it happen. Marisha is and has always been super busy because she's such a proactive, talented, sought-after person. She played Effie in Dreamgirls. And was the stand-in. She was just a stand-in for Amber Riley. But so if you can hear in the background, that's the sound of my dog running frustratedly back and forth because I believe, I believe someone's seen a bird or a cat that he wants to play with, who does not want to play, play with him, which is very sad. And I relate. I relate to the feeling. Amber Riley got, sick I believe and I remember everyone talking about I mean I say this to Marisha in the conversation as well I remember just hearing about how you should go and see Dreamgirls to catch the stand-in because Marisha was so phenomenal and I've since then followed her on social media and I've just always wanted to talk to her she's great so I'm very excited about this episode it's it was a couple of hours before they announced that Biden had won the election. So we were still in a state of what's going to happen. We don't really know. Fingers crossed. And uh, thank God things are a tiny bit better now. Obviously, Biden is not perfect. I would dare to say that no politicians are, especially ones that are not inherently socialist slash, dare I say, communist. He's a man. He's an old white man. You know, he's what, 70, 79 or something. I'm not gonna. But the point is less that he won and more that Trump lost, which is, and I've said this to Americans that like their last tragic loss was in 2016. And like their, you know, oh, no, no. What are you doing? Don't back. So that's their last memory of like a, an election gone wrong. But where in the UK we had Brexit and what two general elections that we also lost. And then we also suffered from the loss of the 2016 US election. 
so for us, we've just gone through so many, uh, you know, elections where we've had hope that the good side would win and they haven't. So I think the space to feel relief that it's at least not going in the other direction, which is such a tiny thing to be grateful for, but nevertheless, you got to take what you can get at these in these times. So I will let you listen to uh, my chat with Marisha. I am continuing to get the best out of this lockdown as I possibly can by doing, I'm going to do book packages again, selling my book, my signed, selling signed copies of my book in these like care packages. And I am doing online shows. I'm selling shows that I've already recorded and done. My Instagram is more active than it probably should be if you look at all the things that I'm uh, neglecting to do <laughs> instead. And basically, go to my website, go to my, my social media. I am all over the place and I would love to, uh, yeah, I'd just love to, <laughs> I don't, I just, just love for you to support my work. <laughs> so uh, I will now let you listen to the incredible beautiful voice like of one of the best voices i've ever heard oh my lord please enjoy this episode with the incredible marisha wallace first of all for people who might not know who you are would you like to introduce yourself hi i'm marisha wallace and i'm originally from Goldsboro, North Carolina. But um, I came to the UK about four years ago. I've been on Broadway, West End. You've probably seen me as Stella Yankees, rather tasty and Aladdin, um, the movie and on Broadway. And currently I am supposed to play Motormouth and Hairspray. I've done Waitress, Dream Girls, all those things. And now I'm a recording artist with Universal and I have an album coming out very soon. So that's me in a nutshell, I think. <laughs> Amazing. And where are we? I mean, I have a thousand questions about that. But just for context, in case someone listens to this in a year or two years, when are we speaking? Like, where are you in your life? Where are we in the world right now? I'm currently living in London. Um, I live in Greenwich. And um, yeah, I have been here for about four years now. And it doesn't look like I'm leaving anytime soon. because <laughs> I have so many things to do here. So it's just been exciting to be an American living abroad. Well, how are you feeling at the moment? It's uh, Well, it's the election right now. So when people listen to this, the election that is still up in the air, which is crazy. I think this is the longest it's ever taken to um, get results back. <clears throat> and it's the first time they've ever counted every vote because I always do absentee um, voting. And I feel like mine never really counts because, you know, by time it gets there or whatever, even if it arrives on the day, they're just like, God, oh, son. But this time they're going through and counting every single vote, which is absolutely incredible. Well, it's incredible that it hasn't been the norm as well, right? I know. But it's, well, there's a lot that's happening that's changing that, um, you know, the, the dark forces don't want to change because 
They have done voter suppression for years against the black community, against to low income communities on how they district it out so they can push it into their favor. And people like Stacey um, Abrams have been working for years tirelessly the past four years to change that. And all her changes have come to fruition because now Georgia is blue for the first time in 27 years. It is blue democratic, which is insane. That's amazing. How does it feel being so far away from it? It feels like an out of body experience because like, you know, when you've lived in a house for so long, you don't see all of its flaws. You don't see all of its, um, because you're trained that the house is beautiful and that nothing goes wrong in this house. It's the best house on the street. And then when you get outside the house and you look at the house and you're like, oh, wait, the foundation is cracky. The the shingles are falling off. Things are happening. So that's how I kind of feel being far away from it is to see it from a different perspective. And I think America has been covering up its problems for years and just selling us because it's very kind of commercial and it sells you this dream of what America is instead of selling you what America actually is. And I think we're facing those demons now head on now that we've had to stop because of coronavirus and stuff. Um, but now we're finally facing it. And it's been kind of, uh, it's very hard actually to see it and to, to be in another country where they actually do have NHS and they're taking care of their people in that way. It, it's just a whole different perspective, I think. Yeah. It's, it's, I remember being at school, I'm from Denmark. So in Denmark, we would learn about, we would learn less about the U.S. and we would learn more about how people in the U.S. were taught about the U.S., if that makes sense. There's a lot of, you know, wow. these these kids are taught that the U.S. is the best country in the world. And we in Denmark would be like, well, you shouldn't say that to people because that's not healthy to have a a weird idea that you're the best. And our teachers would be like, yeah, we know. This is probably not a good yeah. thing. It's crazy. Like in some ways it's the confidence that you have as an American is good for business because like you do feel like you can take on the whole world because you feel like you can go from being nothing to something, which is a good ideal. But I think it turns sour when you shit on other places because to make yourself feel the most powerful. And I think that's where it loses its power to me because I think they've kind of isolated themselves almost from the rest of the world. There's so many people in America who've never traveled. My, my family didn't have passports until last year when I got them passports so they could come here. Like it's just not even installed instilled in you to leave, which I think is like, what? But for me, I never thought of that as like a negative until I left. <laughs> Uh, so it's just, it's an interesting place. It has the yeah. people are what make it beautiful. I feel like if you take all the craziness out, there's some amazing people in there. Very talented, very like hardworking people. Like they love they work really hard. But now I think they're just trying to be like, why? Why are we working this hard and for what? Are we going to get anywhere or are we going to just keep working ourselves into the ground? I and from what I know about you and your career. What I have been so fascinated by, interested in, is the sort of the your proactiveness and the way that you've tackled the challenges. So you, t correct me if I'm wrong, you were the understudy in Dreamgirls for, was it Amber Riley? 
Yeah. And I don't know how much, I, I remember that in the sort of theater goers circles, there was all this talk about how Amber Riley was actually quite rarely there. So you had to step up uh, more than an understudy usually would. And, and then I remember the sort of ripple effect was people saying, oh, make sure to go on a day where Amber Riley isn't there because <laughs> you want to see Marisha. And I, I wow. went and saw it when it was you because I really wanted to see. And that that just, that seems so rare. Uh, how often do you go to a show just to see the understudy, you know? It doesn't happen that often. The last time I've heard it is with Sutton Foster because Sutton Foster wasn't supposed to be Millie and Thoroughly Modern Millie. Mm. There was another girl when they were out of town and she was the understudy and then the other girl got sick and she went on and she was amazing. And everyone was like, wait. So then she ended up taking over the part and then became Sutton Foster. So like, I hadn't heard that story in a really long time. And also to do it in a different country where people don't know me and people know Amber from Glee. And like, when I would go up there, they would be like, Effie. And they think it's going to be Amber. And I would come out Usually when Amber would come out, they'd be like, yeah. Then I would come out and they'd be like, oh. oh you could <laughs> feel that one from stage. Because they did, yeah, well, because they, they were expecting Amber. She's not there and they don't have any announcements here to tell you that she's not going to be there. But by the end of act one, everyone was literally on their feet, crying, screaming. You know, in here, they do not, <laughs> they don't give everybody standing ovation that's for sure it's not like america where we clap for everything we're like yay you went to the bathroom yay <laughs> <laughs> no so here like to get a standing ovation and it was happening like every night it was like a phenomenon and um yeah it just blew up and then i just really i'm all about taking your moments and just running with them i knew this was my opportunity i knew it like even before like when they told me you're going to london i was like this is it if i don't run as fast as i can with this opportunity i'm not going to get this opportunity again this is like this is the, the moment this is the defining moment and i was only supposed to be there 3 weeks just to cover the um the sickness and um i stayed and i was supposed to be on one day one day a week <laughs> and then it turned into eight shows a week and then i was there all the time i was on all the time and it was hard because it was like almost like amber's sickness which was so bad was my come up so it was kind of like bittersweet and almost it made me feel I don't feel like I could actually be happy for it in in some ways. I'm getting there now because I'm like, okay, that was, you know, obviously that was my chance. But it's like hard when you see someone else's downfall is your come up <laughs> in a way. And I'm just like a, such a big supporter of women that it was just, that was definitely difficult to watch and to, to be a part of. And like there were times I was singing at award shows where she was nominated for the part. Oh, and wow. so I didn't get a lot of credit for like uh, what I did. And like, I got, I was watching her win the Olivia award and I was just like, wow, it was such a humbling experience. And also just to be like, sometimes it's not your time. Sometimes it's not your moment. And sometimes what you're doing is setting yourself up 
for your big, big moment that's going to be even bigger than that. So, like, that's what I have to keep telling myself. Even on the hard days where I'm like, I'm out here killing myself. I don't get any awards. No one gives me, like, a pat on the back. (laughs) The only award that I did get was um, the amazing fans and the support that I had, which literally has carried me through to this point. Yeah. What was was it like the first time knowing that you had to go out and that they were expecting? Because this is, you know, this is not, this is a thousand, I don't know how many, 2,000 people? I don't know how many people. 2,000 people. Yeah, 2,000 people. Yeah, but like on a two-day-show day, that's like 2,400 people. Yeah. Yeah. And you had to go out, like, most, it would be the most human thing to be super scared and to be apologetic but it's such an unapologetic role so yeah were you were you terrified or did you just sort of power through Uh, I I mean I worked on Broadway for like seven years and we are just trained to just like go in and smash it because it's like you know it's your opportunity to shine like if you do well like there's so many good things that will come from it, but it was definitely terrifying. Like it was scary, but I knew I was ready. I knew that I, for me, it was kind of more like, let me show them what I'm going to do. Like going into a game, like going into like a sport or whatever. I was like, let me show them what I can do. And let me show them that I might be the best thing that happened to them that day that they didn't get to see Amber, like (laughs) that they got to saw me. So I think that was kind of my thing, but the whole experience of dream girls really did some crazy things to my mental health like it was the hardest thing mentally I always felt like I was auditioning I always felt like I was because I was second choice you know what I mean like yeah. to, in, in in actuality I was second choice even though I've done so well and even though like everyone loved me you just never shake that feeling of being second choice so you're always trying to prove yourself and trying to go extra and being there when you probably should have been out sick but you were there because you were like I'm the hero I'm supposed to be there and like that, and I was going through a divorce at the same time in the oh. second year. It was is some of the hardest things that I've been through, but I would not take it back. Like it was, it set me up to have this monument moment that I'm having now, which is like a mountaintop experience. Like after you've been through all the valleys and all the work, and then you like climb and climb and climb and get to the top, and you're like, oh wow, I made it. <laughs> I've done it. I've made it to a mountaintop, oh. and then you just start climbing again. We'll we'll definitely have to talk about that. I want to have two questions about this first, which is um, how regular is that experience for you in general in musical theater as uh, as a as a black woman and in a like a, a well, it's probably changing a bit now. I think, but like at, there's so many musicals, which is you know, thin, thin well, white women. And- thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it wasn't made for us. That's what I have to keep reminding myself. When I hit a roadblock, I'm like, this actually was not made for us. So me trying to come in and change it is hard because it wasn't designed for us to win. It was never put in place for us. It wasn't made for our demographic. It wasn't made for us to shine. It wasn't made like that's not why theater was made. So to accept that and be like, look, I'm in here trying to change an institution that was not made for me. That that's what is the, the hurtful part, but also 
the harrowing part is because you're like, okay, I have to come in and try to change something that's been this way for thousands of years or whatever, how long it's been. I'm trying to change it so that it, I'm included in this narrative. So that's the, that's why I've just been doing everything that I'm doing. I'm like, I'm literally breaking down walls and barriers and making space where there has been no space. And I was like, because of me, there will be other girls who look like me, who are big girls, who are black girls, who are poor or whatever, who came from whatever background will be able to do it because they see that I can do it. And that's what people have done for me in the past. But in the theater, it's just, it, the roles are so few and far between, which you got Effie, Motormouth, and I played them all, like <laughs> Becky, like, so now it's all about creating new, like what is going to be the original role and what is going to be a role where you're not talking about race or talking about your weight where you're just like a normal person like I am in real life I don't go around being like whoa I'm fat I can't believe this person loved me <laughs> no you're just like this person liked me okay great not because I'm fat but because of who I am <laughs> so I've been a time if, sometimes like when I think back I've you know I was fat from I was a tiny child and suddenly one day I realized oh I have never tried like I have never not had to fight somehow and then you know when you I feel like it often happens when you reach that level of why am I always tired you know when you have those moments of like oh could it just for once just once be a bit easy Oh my God. I'm so glad you said that. Literally like just on Friday, like, cause I'm now I'm in a new industry. I'm in the record industry now, which is a whole nother beast of another place where it wasn't made for us or where it was made for us, but only in the way that they want it to be. Like the only in the way that they want to present black women mm-hmm. is how it's accepted. Like we only get a Cardi B. We only get a, a Meg Thee Stallion. Why don't we have a black Celine Dion? Why don't we have a black Adele? Why don't we have a black, the opposite side? Like we don't get, we don't get that chance. It's only, if they want to show us ghetto and crazy, that's all they're going to serve us. We don't get the other side because I think, okay, Cardi B, I love Cardi B. That's great. But the reason why people get mad at Cardi B because they're like, that doesn't represent black women. I was like, because they're not showing you all the other ones. So you feel like, oh yeah, she's a disgrace, blah, 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 blah. But I'm like, no, she's not. She's being herself. And that's because you don't see any other role model besides her. Of course you feel like that. And I don't even think she wants to be a role model to anybody. Like she just wants to be herself. And But there's women out here like me who I do want to be a role model for girls and want to be a positive role model that they can look up to and that they're not afraid. Like you can play my music and it's okay. <laughs> For them to listen to it, you know, it's, it was made for them or whatever. But I think they just, I, and this industry is hard. I, and I was crying the other day and I was like, why am I just so exhausted? I was like, I'm tired of fighting. I'm fighting against racism. I'm fighting against fat phobia. I'm fighting against um, being a woman. Like I'm fighting against like old ways. Like it's just, it's a lot. And then sometimes you get so tired Cause you just want to, what you, all the stuff that you've done, Sophie, like you've done such amazing things. Imagine if you could have did that without all the oppression, like how so far often think of that. could you have flown? Yeah. Like just imagine where your career would be if you didn't have all that. 
holding you back. Yeah. Because it would just be based on your merit and not on your physical attributes. Yeah. And at the same time, they're ex expecting you to have the energy and the positivity of someone who has nothing held against them. So it's yes. the same, you have to work the same hours, if not more. And you have to, you know, whenever you complain or seem angry or anything like that, you're sort of asked to tone it down a bit because, you know, he's not complaining. You're like, no, of course he's not complaining. What does he have to complain about? Nothing. <laughs> the world's their oyster. They're like, can walk through doors that are just like wide open. And I'm over here having to take a sledgehammer to knock the door down to go through the same door that they just walked where you held the door open for them. It's hard. Like I, I've gone through, because when I, I got this record deal during lockdown. So I was in so many zoom meetings with like heads of labels from two different major, major record labels. And that's, I would just tell them, I was like, this is your chance to be on the right side of history. This is your chance to do opposite of what we think you're going to do. Like this is your chance to change how the music industry works and functions to promote a person like me up to the front. Like, and it's them that does it. It's like, you don't know about anything unless they say that it's there. You don't care about an artist unless they care about them. So I, I definitely have some good people on my team. There's some like people who do want to make change. So I hope I'm praying. Well, like I'm not hoping we will, we will make some changes and like rock this place. I, people like Lizzo are already doing it. So if she can do it, I definitely can do it. <laughs> Amazing. This is going to be, this is such a cringe question. And I think I'm very much biased by a lot of movies when I ask this. Yeah. But when I, I feel embarrassed by asking this, when you do sing, is that is that purely a professional thing that you enjoy, or do you also get to express or feel the energy of all of your frustrations? Like, is it also a bit? Is it like meditation? Is it a Oh, let out absolutely. Of okay, so it's, it's like my the therapy. No, no, okay. it's real. Like, when you can, like, well, when I sing, everyone is dead quiet. Like, they literally go silent and they all come up to the edge of their seat. Because I can see them. They all come up to the edge of their seat and they're just like, what is about to happen? And then when I start singing, they're just entranced like that for the whole five minutes of the song or whatever. And to have that kind of power to be able to get, let people put down their phones and we're all having this moment together. It feels almost religious. Like sometimes when I sing like a spiritual thing to have everyone be swept up in these chords and the lyrics and how I'm singing and to just for five minutes to not think about anything that's going on in their life, but to be, completely engrossed in the story that I'm telling of this song that is it's just nothing like it um just recently I got to do festival of remembrance which will be airing tonight but I don't know when this will come out but you'll be able to see it later um I got asked to do that last minute um because um Catherine Jenkins cleaner got COVID so she had to isolate so they called me with an hour's notice to go out there and sing the White Cliffs of Dover and like I heard the song and I know of the song but you know if you never sang it you were like okay now go sing it in front of six million people 
And so oh. I learned the song in the car, like fully learned it. Cause you know, you just know the chorus, but I had to learn the verses and everything and the bridge and everything. So, and I got my makeup hair on and I was singing at the rollout hall in front of this whole, with this, with the Queens Royal military band. And like, I was there and, and I'm replacing someone who is like, the princess of, of the UK, Catherine Jenkins, you know, like any royal thing, she's there. And to have me, a curvy, black, African-American woman opening the Festival of Remembrance and all of those military people crying at my voice, like, what is that? Like, that is just nothing that compares to that. That was like an out-of-body experience. But that just shows you what music can do. It was almost kind of was like, I'm going to show you why I should have been the first choice, but also I'm going to show you that it doesn't matter what you look like. The music speaks for you. Like the music speaks for itself. So that was a long answer, but yeah, that, that was just like a beautiful experience of seeing how music can like change people and change their minds about things. Did you have the, did you always know that this was in your future? Like when you were a child, young teenager, did you know that your future was going to look like this? I did sort of like I've always wanted to do film and like when I was a kid we would have options of how we want to do our book reports like if we read a book and I would always choose an option where you could write do a commercial for the book or you could make a tv show about the book I would get my uncle to bring that big camera because back mm-hmm. in the day <laughs> we didn't have no iPhones girl we had that big box camera he would let me use and I would um shoot videos like even when I was a kid which is so crazy which is like before YouTube and all that stuff but I've always wanted to do it I would do accents when I was a kid like that was like my thing but I've always wanted I knew I could do it I just didn't know how I didn't know how I was like because there's no one there's no guy but to be like oh how do I become a famous singer here you go this is what you do no it's just kind of like I just kept going I was like, well, let me just keep pushing forward and things started to happen. Do you remember the first time you realized that your voice could have such a deep effect on people? Wow. I think when I sung and I'm telling you, I had a pageant. I was in high school and I sang and I'm telling you, I'm not going at a pageant. And like everyone was like, whoa, what is that? Now here's the crazy part. I didn't win. Of course, they pick the pretty. They pick the pretty blonde girl who, you know, who was my friend actually. She's like one of my best friends, Jessica. But they picked her, and you know, you're like, wow, that gave me my first taste of like, it doesn't fucking matter <laughs> how well you've done. It, that's always gonna be a thing. But then I sang it again at a North Carolina idol. It was like a, and they would give you like a chance to go do um, American Idol. And I won. And the girl was like, who I was up against was going to win, like based on her last performance. Cause, but I hadn't sang that song yet. And then I sang that song and I won. And I was like, whoa, okay. This is like, And I got to have a song on the radio and it was like a whole thing. And I was like, oh, okay, I might could actually do this. And then throughout college, I worked and like worked professionally too in college. And then it just started growing and growing. But I feel like my voice has grown over the years. Like my voice from then to now is like night and day. 
just got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And I've just learned so much, like every performance, everything, I just want to be better. And that was the thing with the Amber thing, because I always felt like I'm never going to be as good as her. She has an amazing voice, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, but I have something too. What is the thing that I have that makes people want to come watch me instead of watch her? And then I harnessed it. And I was like, it's authenticity. It is acting. It is the thing that I studied for years that I know how to do very, very well. I was like, that's my Achilles heel, the full package. Go with that. And once you figure out the thing that makes you special, you're unstoppable. You are unstoppable. It would be so normal to have had that experience again and again of being second choice and not winning and like having all those sort of setbacks or realizations that, like you said, like it doesn't fucking matter. It would be so normal and natural if you, if you were scared, not scared, if you were reluctant to help anyone get up. Like I remember starting in, in stand up, and all the women were scared because there was only room for one so there was very little yeah. sort of help help others and I and I remember feeling it too like you get scared when another woman is on the bill because oh oh no now what if they take my place and that's you know that's how the patriarchy works that's why they do it you know it's so that you don't help each other so there keeps just being one place but how how do you <laughs> I mean, it's such a weird question to ask. Like, how are you still supportive of women? Which is, you know, ridiculous. You know, it's hard. I feel like I have been fighting, like, that jealousy and that competitiveness from other women for years. And I was doing my damnedest to, like, be, like, even when new Effies would come, I would just try to befriend them somehow it would always get nasty because there's just so much, there's no space. Like when there's no space to grow, all the weeds are just wrapped and tangled into each other. We can't be our full flower because there's just no space to grow. And I had to stop being jealous of other women. And that's when my career took off. When I just put on my blinders and was like, I don't care what she's doing. I don't care what they're doing over there. I'm just running against myself. I want to be better than I was yesterday. And also just not holding grudges. I think that's what women do. Even when other women treat you badly, which has happened to me so many times, even when I've like given them the clothes off my back or bought them things or whatever, just to not hold it because it only poisons you. And I also have to look at people from their circumstance and look at them through the lens of their mental health issues as well. Cause I see it so much black women and, you know, curvy women, we come with this armor that we have built since we were little to protect ourselves from being hurt. And that's that armor of, I'm fierce. I'm amazing. You can't stop. Like, you're not better than me. You're never going to be better than me. But that's from trauma. That's not coming from that person's heart. That's because they're trying to stop you before you get to them. And if the patriarchy would allow us to have space to be and grow, 
then we might be able to do something. I mean, I always feel it. Like, even when I see, I used to see other Black girls winning, and I'd be like, why am I not there or whatever? Then I had to change my whole perspective. I was like, I can't focus on them because I can't do what they do, and they can't do what I do. They taught us that we were the same, but we're not. We're very, very different. And once you harness that thing that is special about you and run with that, instead of focusing on what you don't have and what you're not doing, or this one got that and that one got this, who cares? That's what is for them is for them. And what's for you is for you. And if you go into life with that and not being jealous and not being nasty and not talking bad about your fellow person, like, even with all the shit that went on with dream girls, I still tried to be kind to Amber and like, I wanted to have a relationship with her where we could talk and that it wasn't about that, like that the work was outside of the sisterhood that we should have. You know what I mean? Which is, it's hard. It's hard. It's definitely hard. And there's definitely been some girls in my career where I, I felt bad because I wish that we could have gotten past those things to just support each other I feel like we would just be so much further yeah and that's that's why they that's why the system works the way it does because they don't want us to we're all fighting each other instead of actually you know all pushing ahead which is why are women like this I I'm literally I it baffles me because it's like man I do feel like it's getting better though I do and I feel like I have to be a catalyst for even if someone treats me bad I I need to like push past that or talk about it and end it squash it like just like end it because I feel we hold these grudges for years she said this about me seven years ago or whatever <laughs> and we're like see ha- I don't like her <laughs> the hardest thing is when someone says can you recommend someone for this job and you know that your enemy would be perfect for it and you're like oh Okay. Yes, I do. But, and you have to rec. It's that's, so hard. That's the. But that's why you, you go. Okay, I have yeah. to do this now. I have to be this person who says, "Yes, she's available." And you're like, "Oh God." But then also, where does the line go as well? Because it's like, do you allow people to keep treating you like crap, or that's it's tough. It's tough because yeah. you're like, is that person just a bad person or are they just a hurt person? So. That's what is also And also, difficult. if they are hurt, how much does that actually justify also being a bad person? You know, they can you can understand yeah. that someone is hurt, but if they're not doing the work on themselves, if they're not willing to acknowledge that they're doing bad things, at some point you will have to say, I get that you're hurt, but I also can't be a part of this until you figure your yes. shit out. And that's that was weird. a lot of things. Yeah. You have to separate yourself sometime as well and just be like, that person is just not, they're not for me. They're not my tribe is what I say. They're not part of my tribe. They're part of someone else's tribe. They're just not part of my tribe. And that's okay. But that doesn't mean you have to shit on them. You just let them go. Yeah. It's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. that's the thing. We like, we don't get along with someone. Then we're like, okay, I'm going to shit on that person so that they yeah. know I don't like them. But if you just let them go and just be like, that's you over there and this is me over here that's fine I'm all about peace because I was like I can't work in a place of negative energy it just is really hard for me 
I'm all about having positive vibes around my space. And when it's, when it's something that is not serving me, I have to let it go. Are you good at being alone with yourself? Now I am with all this uh, COVID and then I broke up with my ex and I had lived with him for 10 years. Wow. And then I was in a new country alone and it was like some of the hardest times to just be alone. I think that's the scariest part. Like we're so afraid to be alone with ourselves and to be okay with, okay, I don't have a man right now or I don't have a partner right now or whatever. And that's okay. Like it's okay to be alone. I think once you figure that out, you're going to be a better partner because you can, you can be by yourself. You know what you want, you know, because uh, everything, I didn't even know what I want. I didn't even know what the certain foods I liked. I was like, do I like this food because he liked it? Or did I like this food because I actually like it? Like, I didn't even know how I like to spend my free time. And so that's, what's been great about this lockdown is like getting to know myself again to be like, Oh, I'm not just a, you know, a walking, talking, singing musical robot. I'm, a, I'm actually a real person who likes to do other things. And I think that's actually helped elevate me because I have a life outside of all of this, which is so good. And you've managed, which is, I feel like when you, when you know about, when you know creative people and you see how each one of those people have handled or functioned throughout the lockdown, which at the point of this recording has been on and off since March. So that's what's six, seven, mm -hmm. eight months. It's forever. It feels like wow. forever. And you have been so, you know, you suddenly blew up on TikTok and you started making all these videos and you're, I've seen you do so many online things and, and now the album. So do you think part of this constant having to fight and having to work on yourself and work hard has that made you a proactive person who's not expecting things to just be sort of dropped into your lap absolutely like i learned um very early on that this is going to be a fight i already knew i already knew um i've been told i'm not famous enough i've been told uh, my voice isn't the best i've been told that i'm not skinny enough just not enough. And then I said, you know what? I'm not going to have any of those kind of people be in control of my success. I'm going to be in control of my success. If I don't make the opportunity, it's not going to be there. And if I don't show people that I can do it without them, they're not going to do it for me. That's what I was like. I can make this album without you, but I want you as a partner. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And that was kind of changing your attitude of going from like wanting to be wanted to making yourself a commodity. That's what I was like, I'm going to make myself so wanted that then I could charge whatever price that I want. And that's the difference of like begging for your spot and then making your own space. I was like, I'm going to create a space. We have this beautiful tool of social media. You can get to anybody anywhere in the world that you want, but you can't be afraid. You have to, put yourself out there and throw stuff at the wall and see if they will stick. I was like, I'm going to make 15 second voice lessons and see what happens. And then two weeks later, I have over 60,000 followers in two weeks. Like if you build it, they will come. And I was wanting to do brand endorsements and now they're all coming to me because I was like, I want to go chase that. And then now they're all coming to me, which is 
amazing. You know how hard it is out here in social media mm-hmm. land to try to like fight for a space. And I think it's just me not being afraid. Just can't be afraid anymore because we're taught, you know, you gotta, you gotta be look like this or sound like this or do like this. And it's not true. That's the thing. It's not true. The people who actually buy things and the people who actually subscribe to things and the people who actually follow you, they don't care about that shit. If they connect to you, they connect to you and they press the button. That's that. There's no in-between person being like, do you really want to do that? Then I don't know. Nah. Is that? No. It's just like, I like that. Boom. Done. (laughs) Your album is called Tomorrow and it's out on December 4th. Tell me about it. So my album tomorrow um, came from me recording the song tomorrow from Annie in lockdown. Um, I just wanted to make a charity single for Broadway Cares and Mattress UK, two um, uh, charities who help performers who were out of work. I just wanted to be able to provide money and donations to those charities so that, um, and bring awareness to those charities. So, because it was at the beginning of lockdown and I knew, I already knew from the beginning, as soon as the lockdown, I was like, everyone's going to need help. Everyone's going to need money. And, and people came on the train probably in the summer, but I was one of the first people to be like, we need to raise money for performers and backstage people from jump. Um, and then I released it. Oh, I actually have went to the label I'm with now to be like, can you help me with the releases? And they were like, no, we're working on other things. Sorry. And then I self-released and it caught fire. I got all these people from the West End, Broadway and TV and film, Leia Salonga, Kat McPhee, Leslie Odom Jr. was in my video, Leslie Lettucey, um, like, it was, it was crazy. We got all these people to be in a music video I made. I stayed up to 6 a.m. editing it together. I directed it. I got um, amazing Grace Frozen to do my illustrations for the signs. And we just did it all ourselves for free. And uh, my producer, Steve Anderson, who works with Kylie Minogue, he did the, the music. And we just released it. And it was the weekend of Black Lives Matter. Like that was the weekend it popped off. So then the song took on this whole new life. It was played on Michael Ball's radio show that that weekend because Steve, my um, producer, sent it to them and were like, you need to play the song. And they played it, which is crazy. Like they only get two choices of songs that are outside of the playlist. And I, that was it. So it was just absolutely incredible and the people were calling in thousands of emails play it again whose song is that oh my god it went to number two on the charts we beat lady gaga we beat beyonce we beat ariana grande um it was crazy and then um amazon called and was like we want to use your song for the coverage of the u.s open 2020 insane so i was like what they were like does marisha wallace own the masters to the song and i was like yes (laughs) and so i got to sell license my version of tomorrow to amazon to the u.s open so i played on the u.s open like i i couldn't even like imagine like i was like what is happening so um and then the record labels came and they were like we want to offer you a deal after all of that, and I had been trying for months to get a deal 
other ways. And then the one time I just do something because for charity, for the love of it, then everything happened. And from there, I've done Festival Remembrance. I've done Songs of Praise. Um, I'm going to be doing the Royal Variety, which is so crazy. Like, this, it's just incredible, like, what's happened. Just, just because I stuck to my guns and I did it for myself. I did it myself. And I'm so proud of it. And so this album has 14 songs. I recorded the whole thing in lockdown. Every voice you hear on the album is me. I vocal arranged it. I choral arranged it. I vocal engineered it in my house. Um, sent it off to my producer. And we got the Royal Philharmonic on eight songs. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, So like to go from doing it in your living room to the day that we went to the studio with the Royal Phil and being like, oh my God, they're like playing my song. (laughs) Did you write the songs? Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't write any of them, but I got them, got songs written for me. So like I told, so we have, it's what you call top liners. So these are the people who write all the hits. Um, So Toby Gad, um, Toby Gad wrote, all of me loves all of you by John Legend. And he wrote a song for my album, Natasha Bedingfield, Sia. Um, He got amazing top liners who were like, these are the songs. Like they listened to her, my voice and were like, she needs to sing my song. And so we got four original songs on there and some amazing covers. It's just going to be, I cannot wait for people to hear. It's like my baby. I'm like, I'm my little baby. I can't wait to show them to you. (laughs) And you already have, is it before I go and, um, uh, the show must go on. Are they both from that album? So we have, we got four songs out now from the album. We got before I go climb every mountain my declaration and the show must go on just came out with Michael Ball. So I got to do it with Michael Ball and I got to vocal produce Michael Ball. So I went to the studio and we had to, and got to say, okay, can you sing it like this? Can you do it like this? I got to, that was amazing. Cause I always want to be on that side of the table to like vocal produce Michael Ball. We all want to tell Michael Ball what to do. (laughs) It's a dream. He's like my friend. I love him so much. He's been so supportive. And like to have someone like that champion me is amazing. But that's what I keep telling everyone. I was like, these are the gatekeepers and to have them opening the gates and being like, here, you need to listen to this person. That's how I've been so successful to have these amazing people endorsing me and believing in me. And that's what's been so cool. I'm so excited for the album. And also, so by the time that comes out, people can listen to both that and your Christmas album. Yeah, because then it'll be Christmas. I, yeah, it'll be Christmas, and I have another Christmas amazing thing. Oh. Um, Jingle Jangle, a new Netflix movie, is coming out this Friday, so that'll be November thirteenth. Yeah. Um, and I have a song, so I got to sing an original John Legend song on the soundtrack. Whoa! So that's gonna be amazing. I'm gonna be on an album with John Legend and Usher and all these people. It was so crazy because I sang it um, for them. And I thought, oh, surely they might replace me with like Paddle Bell or Shaka Khan or somebody. <laughs> but they didn't. They left. They were like, we loved your version. We're going to keep you. So I'm going to be on the album soundtrack, which will be coming out probably Thursday this week, which I'm so excited about. Oh, my gosh. I feel like it's somewhat, and again, this is a bit of a wanky thing to say, but I feel like it's somewhat 
symbolic of what is happening. And this is probably me being way too optimistic, but I feel like it shows what happens when you suddenly are pushed to the edge or you are pushed to realize that, hang on, I can't get things done. You know, the power of, of realizing that it's all the system that's designed to hold you down and that you're actually fighting against something bigger than just the other women in your dressing room or whatever it is. And then the things that happen from that are enormous. Yeah. And as soon as you actually do something, you know, like you mentioned Stacey, um, Stacey Abra- Abrahams? Stacey Abrams. Yeah. Abrams yeah. in the beginning. And the example of someone like that who has made a huge thing happen, I, I, it's, it give, I'm probably just in a hopeful space of mind at the moment because uh, he might actually win this. But a part of me thinks that, well, once, once we do eradicate all of this terribleness in the world, they, they will not have a leg to stand on. No. You know, because this is like the resilience and the strength and the, the realization of the power that you actually have. We have like, so much power. Like when you harness that power and you don't listen to the haters or the naysayers because they're there to stop you because I always call it the light and the dark forces. The light forces are there. Like they're there to, they want to win. But the dark forces are also there to stop you because they know if you win, then the light forces are like, yeah, we did it. We beat you. So I was like, don't let them stop you. Stacey Abrams has been hard at work alone. People didn't even really know about her worldwide or knew that for years she was out here grafting. Out. She's another curvy black, black woman grew up in the poorest neighborhood in that state out here grafting for change for a country that has disenfranchised her she's out here trying to save the democracy of a country who doesn't even want to save her that shows you how much how dedicated black women are to excellence how dedicated we are to changing this world we will save a country that wouldn't even want to save us i think that's incredible i think it also shows that like You keep working. You keep doing your thing. Because she didn't get the VP nomination. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. She didn't get it. And I'm not going to say this, but I think it's because of how she looked. I really do. And maybe she, I don't know. And she's the most qualified. She's up here and done saved the whole election. I said, if they don't give that woman the highest position that they can find in that cabinet, she she deserves everything. But look how like if you just look at the book and the co- look at the cover of the book, you wouldn't even you would miss out on this amazing woman who could change an election because you're so focused on what the out, outer part looks like. That is crazy to me. Mm. They've missed out on an amazing person. But I hope they will see the error of her ways because she has come through. But she's amazing. Yeah, I really hope so. But she should have had it such a long time ago. But yeah, but I do again. feel positive. Yeah, like you yeah. said, I feel like what's happening in the world has made us re-examine who we're promoting, who we're um, glorifying now. Like 
I feel like people who haven't had that chance to be glorified in the ways that they deserve are getting their chance, their moment, because people are like, wait a minute, we got to give somebody else a chance. We can't keep uplifting the same three Black women forever and then calling ourselves diverse. That's not how it works. <laughs> it's like, no, we need more. Like, there should be more Sophie Hagens. Like, <laughs> seven of y'all like I mean how is this it's crazy there's gonna be 20 Marishas yeah. I mean I'd buy all of their nuts. albums yeah <laughs> I want to ask you the the last question and um and then I'm gonna have you plug all your stuff and then after that I'm gonna ask you six extra questions for the for the patrons okay, okay. but the cool. last question that I always ask is this <clears throat> okay you're in the delivery room And you have just been born, okay? But you now are also there. So you now are in the living room and you're holding teeny tiny Marisha in your arms. And she's crying, okay? Because oh. she was just in the womb and it was all lovely. It was all nice. And now she's out and there's like lights and sounds and people. And she's like, what is this? Is this life? Is life just going to mm. be full of lights and sounds? Because that's not nice. And she looks at you like, what is this going to be? What's going to happen? And you can't change anything. So you can't give advice, but you know exactly what's going to happen. And all of that will happen regardless of what you say. And what she just wants to know is what's going to happen? What's this going to be like? And you can answer her that. What would you say to teeny tiny baby you? I would say baby you, you're going to go through a lot of things that are going to change your life for the better. Even though those things may feel like they're going to destroy you or stop you or keep you from getting to where you want to be in your little life, you'll get there. And don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it. Like, there are going to be so many people who say you can't. But there's going to be a thousand other people who say you can. So listen to the can people. Listen to the people rooting you on. Don't listen to the three people who say you can. Listen to all these supportive people who are out there cheering for you. And don't forget who you are. Don't forget that you don't have to hide. You won't ever have to hide again. You'll be able to live in your full power and glory And don't shrink yourself. There's going to be times where people are going to say, you need to be quiet. You need to be smaller. You need to sit back. Don't allow them to do that. You will rise to the top. And no matter what, the sun will come out tomorrow. <laughs> oh. Do you still need to be told that? Yeah, I do. Like, I've had a hard, it was a hard week this week, like, Because, you know, the album's coming out and you're scared and it's my first album and you're just scared. You want it to be a huge success and you don't know because it's not in your control. But you just have to pray that everything, all your work will come to fruition and that the music will speak for itself. I'm very positive about it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so what do people do now? Because by the time this comes out, it won't be December 4th yet. So where do we go and make to make sure that it can help you as much as possible? 
Amazing. So the way you can help me is to pre-order your album on my official store, on the DECA store. There's a link. I will put the link in your uh, podcast. And also to follow me on all of my social media, at Marisha Wallace on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. But if you pre-order the album, it really helps me out as a, a new artist to get on those charts. We did get Record of the Week for BBC Radio 2. And yes. we've also been A-listed for Before I Go. So just keep calling in. Make sure you stream, 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 and pre-order the album. That's the way you can support me. And I'm so excited because not only will you support me, but you'll get this amazing album that will help you get through this tough time in your life. And what a great Christmas present as well. I know, beautiful Christmas right. present. <laughs> I can't think of a family member who wouldn't enjoy that. No, they'd love it. Everyone, <laughs> like all ages. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm so, I mean, I've wanted to do this since. I know, ages ago. Well, yeah, well, since I saw you in in Dreamgirls. In Dreamgirls, but we just could never line it no, up. It was crazy I'm so, timing. Oh, it, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it has, well, it's not. Yeah. I'm just so happy it finally happened. Um, I think this is the perfect time, actually. It worked out right when it's supposed to. I think so. Well, and I always love your content. It's so great. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Likewise. Amazing. You're doing amazing stuff. Good. Oh, Keep up. Keep so going. Are you. So are you. <laughs> go, go, go buy her album, pre-order her album, follow her on social media, tell her thank you for doing this episode. Just share the episode with your friends. Tell your friends about it. I'm so happy that I finally got her on and she exceeded every single one of my expectations, which were already quite high. So I hope you enjoyed that as as much as I did. I will not keep you for that long. I'm going to keep this fairly short, both because I have a dog running around being very frustrated that the entire sky full of birds will not come down and play with him. Also because I am um, expecting company despite the lockdown I have my tiny little bubble of the only people, the only people I see. And uh, it's stressful, isn't it? I also need to socialize my dog a bit, but this is what we're doing. There's a child in this bubble, so I'm seeing no one other than them. Meaning that if they, if one of them catches COVID, it'll be passed on to me, but it won't go further because I'm seeing no one else. And that's the whole point of the lockdown, isn't it? To make sure that you don't keep spreading it so that's the deal so i'm getting my potentially infected with covid bubble (laughs) on a little visit to say hi to the dog and apparently they would have left some apple juice which i do not have because i was not informed in time i will now say like thank you more than ever to the people who have chosen to support this podcast with five dollars slash i think now we've got a pounds option which is like I think $5 is like £4.60 or something like that. So when you do sign up for Patreon, you can type that in. I think you can choose it somewhere. This is around £4 something per episode uh, for uh, every episode that month. I will now say a massive thank you to those people because they are the VIPs. are the people who will get their names read out loud at the end of the episode, which is now. So huge thank you to... Amy Melody, Andrea Carpo-Rogan, Andy Walker, Anna-Marie Hepburn, Barry Norton, Beth Payton, Cherry Windsor, Claire Fletcher, Daniel Reifersheet, Deborah Codice, 
Ditte Brøndberg Jensen, Emma Chan, Fenella Dunn, Privacy of Sorrows, Aurora Teratops, Galway Cass, Georgia, Harry Van Dyke, Harry Minard, Helen Jarina, Isabel Johnson, Joe, Joe C., uh, Catherine Williams, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Pedersen, Kirsten E., Kirsten Davison, Lindsay Bushniak, M. Dash, Maeve Hulihan, Maury Fraser, Megan Roberts, Paul Swaddle, Pierre Fenne, uh, Rachel Furley, Ragdoll, Rianne Rivers, Robert Knowles, Robin Cabot, with Ruth Flory, Samantha Kitson, Sarah Allett, Sarah Plumer, Sheena Machette Cole, Simon James, Victoria Greer, Victoria Layton, and Zoe Stephenson. Thank you so much. So anyone who's supporting, whether it be with PayPal donations or through my other Patreon, that says for me person, personally, me, uh, and of course my amazing Mopad supporters, I am filming this whole behind-the-scenes thing where you get all the bits I've had to get my editor to... Uh, to edit out and um, some footage of the dog running back and forth like a there's no word for it what's like a like a like a piece of firework yes is that a Danish saying or is it a UK saying like he has fireworks in his ass or is it fireworks Pow- gunpowder no anyways don't mind me oh yeah he's now gonna bark is he gonna bark He's definitely like doing that pre-bark thing of going. Oh, now he's running past again. <laughs> what is it? I don't know what he's discovered, but I better go check. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I um, I will catch up. We didn't have an episode last week. I am exhausted. I have so much to do. I am... I keep booking people who then cancel for good reasons. I'm not mad at them. It's just a bit of a tricky time. So I thank you more than ever for, for supporting this podcast. And I we will get back on track with like weekly, definitely weekly uh, episodes. At the moment, it's a bit of a shamble, but you will never get more than one a week in on average. So never more than four to five a month. Hello. What is it? What is it? What is it? Oh, now there's something that goes beep. What a mess. What, what a mess. What a mess. So thank you so much um, to Marisha for being an amazing guest. Thank you so much to my wonderful patrons. Thank you to Dave Pickering for editing this episode, to Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and to Justine McNichol for the logo. This podcast was produced by me. Speak to you soon, I hope. <laughs> Bye. Oh, pie.